Australia has just beautiful roads for driving on and reflecting on your life. I think anyone that's been on a road trip or driven just a long distance on their own knows what I'm talking about. There's just something about it. Welcome to Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors January Jones and Rose Donoghue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less travelled. Welcome back. This is season two of Somewhere Else. Rose, how are you? Hi, January. I'm good. How are you going? I'm going really well, actually. So a lot's changed since we recorded the first season. Can you tell me a bit about what you're up to? Of course. I think it would be remiss of me not to explain that, January, you and I are not actually in the studio together this season, unlike last season. A bit's happened since the end of last season. I've actually kind of inspired by a few of the people we spoke to last season, quit my job, packed up my life, moved out of my apartment and moved to Amsterdam with my boyfriend for the foreseeable future. Yes, you have. And we miss you very much in the office, I have to say. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I mean, people, a lot of people have asked me why I've decided to leave now. You know, people, including my mum, who said to me, why are you leaving a great job, a great apartment, a great life in Melbourne. And I think it was one of those things where nothing's actually going wrong with your life, but you just feel like it's the right time to actually give something else a go, try living overseas, give yourself the challenge of actually having to move away and find another place and find a new job and make new friends. So yeah, I've been here for a couple of months now. I've got the apartment, I've got the job that I've just started. It's not the same as Domain. It's different, but it's also good. Um, you don't yeah, like so your I work colleagues as much, do you? I did not say that, <laughs> It's different. I mean, it's interesting, like, trying to slide into an office in a completely new country. I have to say I've learned that Dutch people work shorter hours than Australians. Everyone's really sort of, like, in the office at 10, straight out at 6pm, but they don't faff around during the day. So there's no chatting, there's no chin-wagging, hanging out in the kitchen making cups of tea? Yeah, exactly. I think Australians probably have a bit of a reputation for being chinwaggers, um, and I'm definitely learning that. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, our first episode theme is grown-up gap years, and I've I've had a few people call this a grown-up gap year. I'm not quite sure if I agree with it. Maybe I just don't like the label. I know how you feel about labels, Rose. (laughs) I sort of cringe at any label. I also wonder whether what the difference is between a grown-up gap year and a sabbatical. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of people taking sabbaticals these days and a lot of countries, sorry, not countries, a lot of companies being more supportive of, of people taking time off from work. I actually quit my job completely. So I guess if I have to slide into one of those labels, it's probably a grown-up gap year. Oh, how does how does that feel? Does that sting a little bit? It feels a bit weird, to be honest. (laughs) Just embrace it. Oh, grown-up gap year sounds like quitting a job, travelling the world, just doing the things in life that you've been putting off. Maybe having a bit of a quarter-life crisis and they want to take some time off and find themselves and they're quite confident that they'll be able to have a job when they get back. When I think of the term grown-up gap year, I think of bludging. Sometimes while it's great to have some time off to think about what you want to do, I'm not sure that you need a whole year, really. Isn't that just a a bit of a wank? We know that Australians 
love taking gap years, um, increasingly so when they're older. We did a bit of research um, as to what people do around the world. Yeah, so traditionally gap years were a British and European thing, but it seems the Americans are finally catching on after, you know, they have such a strict work ethic, but they're finally <laughs> travelling around the go, world. They're go, go in the US. <laughs> sorry to any American. Not, not trying to say that you don't travel, but, you know, Americans are travelling much more. Uh, it might have something to do with Amalia Obama taking a gap year before Harvard. Maybe that's kind of what got people... The young people are inspired. That was an interesting one. And I remember that um, hitting the news and people almost being scandalised by it. You know, this young Obama daughter who could do anything and she decided to take a year off. I think she was actually working at the Spanish embassy, at, at the US embassy in Spain, sorry. So it wasn't like she was slacking, but I remember it, it was a real, uh, it was a hot topic at the time. Yeah, so she wasn't staying in any flea-ridden hostels or carrying oh, a backpack God, no. twice her body weight. No way. And it's interesting, the Kiwis call it an OE, an overseas experience, which I thought was an interesting OE. one. I've never heard that before. I mean, it's not exactly the most creative uh name I've ever heard, but okay, an OE. You can imagine it, can't you? Your OE. You're going on your OE. I've been on my OE. You're on your OE. I'll call call it an OE. I'll call it whatever (laughs) you want. (laughs) And in Yemen, it's actually compulsory. So that was was an interesting one. That's a fun fact. I wonder how they're actually sort of enforcing that. I know. Are they just going into universities and being like, hey, get out get out and see the world before you do your <laughs> commerce degree? They're IDing people so that they can kick them out of university. <laughs> and about 25% of Australian students take a gap year before uni, which I found really interesting because I think when I was in that time before, you know, leaving high school and going to university, there was so much stigma around gap years. It was like, oh, my parents don't want me to take a gap year. Or I can't take a gap year. I've got to go straight to university. And I wonder if that's really, really changed with this, this generation now. I think it depends. I think sort of the kids who are doing, um, you know, volunteering sort of charity work. I knew a few people who went and worked at schools in England. That was quite a big one. We've got some stats here. The most common activities for Australian GAP students were part-time work, 28% did part-time work, full-time work, 23%, which basically means, I mean, I'm not really going to call that a GAP year. If you just graduate high school and go and work overseas, that's just called getting a job, isn't it? Oh, come on, Rose. That's not generous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 10% of them went into training. I also don't know if that's a gap year because it's essentially going going to further studies. And only 6% reported travel as their main activity. I would say when people think of young people doing a gap year, they're normally imagining that they're travelling full-time. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I guess people have to sustain their travels with money. That's true. And I think it's important to acknowledge that the gap year in itself is a very privileged notion that I don't think all countries around the world, um, I don't think everyone has the opportunity to do it. It obviously does take a bit of funding. Also, when you're an adult, there are more responsibilities that you've got to think of. You've got to think of yeah your your house that you're that you're renting or that you own, who's going to take it, who's going to look after it, who's going to fund the trip. So... We decided to take to the streets to see what you guys thought about the idea of the grown-up gap year. I would absolutely take a year off. I'm actually about to hit 30 and I'm thinking about doing it, to be honest. Um, Yes, my husband and I have had a gap year. (laughs) 
but it extended to three. <laughs> We're still having it. I think I would take a year off travelling if I had the money. I would love to take a year off work to travel, or two actually. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually from France, so like it's kind of like I did. Yeah, probably, definitely one, once in my lifetime, yeah. I definitely would, but um, I'm, I'm not sure when. I'm currently sitting next to my boss right now, so I'm not sure whether he'd approve of that. I think I would probably take a grown-up gap year, but maybe not a year. Can six months be a gap year? Yeah, I'd probably go for a grown-up six months. Today we're talking to pedestrian senior style and features editor and co-host of the podcast All Aussie Mystery Hour, Melissa Mason. In October last year, Melissa packed up her bags, hired a four-wheel drive and set off on a solo adventure around Australia. Following the East Coast, she drove to Cairns, across to Mount Isa, to Tennant Creek... Darwin, Alice Springs, the Kimberley, Broome, and then back to Sydney. In total, she drove 39,768 kilometres. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So what sparked this decision to go on this trip? Oh, look, um, I've always really loved the outback. I actually grew up in Sydney, born and raised, never moved anywhere else. But I've always done little road trips and I just loved being in the car, loved going and sort of exploring the New South Wales mainly. And then I guess those trips became longer and longer. Like I did a week trip between two jobs from Sydney to Broken Hill and back on my own. And that was probably the first time that I realised like, oh wow, I can actually do this on my own as a solo woman driving. And it kind of got me past a lot of the fears of driving around Australia on my own and just kind of travelling on your own in a way as well. I'd had this kind of mental plan to drive around Australia one day um, just to see the whole country and also potentially to write a book of my travels and, you know, just what it's like. Because I I found the experience of driving from Sydney to Broken Hill so interesting. Uh, Just the little things you have to think about as a woman travelling on your own uh, and also just by travelling on your own in and of itself, no matter what your gender is, because uh, it's a lot of alone time, which we can talk about later. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, last year, I guess I thought I was at the right place in my life. Like, I didn't have a partner. I had a good job, but I'd been there for quite a while, and I was sort of prepared that if they weren't going to let me take the time off, that I could essentially leave and then come back and get a similar kind of a job. Like I felt like my career was established enough that I could take that time out. And also just kind of, I think I just had a bit of a revelation that I just needed to do it. I was 32 and I thought I could meet somebody at any point and it would change all my plans and I want to do it on my own and I wanted it to be just my experience. Was it going to be a farmer wants a wife? (laughs) No, I think a lot of people thought that's what it was going to be. Um, I think it, I, I mean, as much as I would love to meet my uh, farmer-like husband, absolutely, uh, it was mainly that Australia has just beautiful roads for driving on and reflecting on your life. This sounds so wanky. It sounds crazy, but I think anyone that's been on a road trip at, or driven just a long distance on their own knows what I'm talking about. It just There's something about it. I mean, it's funny hearing about people who go on gap years when they're 17, 18, finish school. The ideal of a gap year is that you go and reflect and spend time with yourself. Let's be real, that's not what people are doing when they're, you know, getting on a Kentucky tour around <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Europe. But do you feel like because you did it a bit later, um, it sounds like you were able to be sort of more mature about it and what you wanted to get out of the experience? Yeah, I think so. I think the difference with this was that it was more about um, experiencing different uh, 
like different cultures within Australia, like even just getting out of Sydney, getting more remote, uh, whole states like WA, Northern Territory, completely different lifestyles, uh, values, you know, uh, kind of ways of living than what I'd ever experienced. Mm, And I guess it's a side of Australia that we don't often see in mainstream media, you know. We don't often see representations of what rural Australia is like. Oh, absolutely. And I think it. I came back and I had such a, I guess, better understanding of how vast and complex our country is socially and culturally. Like there's just so much more going on than what is happening in the major cities. Because I as well, like of my own country, I'd really gone between Sydney, Melbourne, Byron Bay and like the coast up there and like Brizzy and that was it. And, uh, you know, once I got past the East Coast, I was like, wow. What was the longest drive that you did in one sitting? Oh, my gosh. Darwin to Alice. I was like, okay, I could either do Darwin to Catherine for three hours and then Catherine to Alice for I think it was like seven or I could do just one big 10-hour drive. (laughs) And I was like, can you feasibly do this? But I was doing a lot of six, seven-hour drives. That was my norm. And it's like as long as you take the breaks that you need to take – it's kind of fine. Like you just put on a bunch of podcasts, you, you know, get your playlist sorted and you're you're pretty sweet. And so I thought, look, it's only four extra hours. It's going to save me a whole day's worth of like, you know, hanging around and sleeping for no reason. And so I just did that. So 10 hours was the longest. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it as a regular thing. Like it sounds insane. And I think a lot of people think it's really dangerous, but you need to just be able, you actually really do need to be taking those two hour breaks or even more when you're feeling tired. So you'd you'd have to take a break, I imagine, sometimes in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> um, so like the Stewart Highway, for example, which goes from like Adelaide all the way up to Darwin, um, that's the one I had to go three times on. There's really like these oh, like creepy rest stations and I was like, no. I'm not doing it. This is like, and one of my my friend that works in Darwin is like a reporter and she was like, oh, did you hear about that story of this like couple that were murdered at a station? That's not what you want to (laughs) hear. And I was like, thank you. Her name's Mel as well. I was like, thanks, Mel. Like I didn't need to hear that right now. Um, It was years before I went. So it's actually quite a safe highway in terms of like you know, weird people. There's not actually that many around, but it it was in my head. But the highways there have huge, like massive flat um, edges. Like it's because it's so flat. So I found that I could pull my, like, and there were also a lot of um, truck stops where you can just sort of pull in and it's on the same highway. It's just like a little road off to the side with a bin and there's nothing else there. And you can just stop and have a rest. And because you can see, you're technically not supposed to use them, but because you can see so far down the highway, you can literally see something coming from like kilometres and kilometres away. I would just sort of be like, cool, there's no truck coming. So if a truck started to pull in, I would have pulled out. Talking about like, you know, if I saw a truck coming, what did people think when you said you wanted to do this trip by yourself and how scared were you and how justified were you in being scared? Um, So my parents were like, why? (laughs) And how are you going to do this? And I think they were a little hesitant to begin with. 
at work, when I got back to work, there were people that were like, I literally didn't know if you were going to come home. <laughs> um, which was sort of reassuring. And I'm glad they didn't tell me that before I left. Yeah. Um, like, bye, see you maybe never again. Uh, I was really scared of the outback before I got into the outback. I think just like with anything with traveling, it's so much scarier when you haven't experienced it because your mind just inflates everything. So I imagine these huge stretches with literally no one around for hours and hours. And it's not like that at all. Like there's rest stops, there's like most of the highways I traveled on were quite populated, lots of road trains, which are those huge trucks, like double the size of a normal truck, lots of, you know, service stations. And even with petrol, like you have to stay on a full or a half tank. And I learned that the hard way because I actually almost ran out of fuel. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I had to pull into a mining site and basically be like, please, could I have some diesel? <laughs> and they gave you some? Yeah, they gave me some. Wow. Like, I think that inherently most people are good. Yeah. And most of the time you don't want to run into trouble like that. That was that was stupid and it was early on and I never made that mistake again. I was just so vigilant about keeping my petrol at a good level, like half full to full, depending on where I was. But, you know, when you do run into trouble, the chance that it's going to be grim is very slim. I found Australians around, especially out in the outback, so nice and so, I guess, not judgmental of you being an idiot from the city. Back to what Rose was asking, because I want to know more about this, because your trip while it looked incredible while you were doing it, looked terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if that's because I've seen Wolf Creek and Wake in Fright and these Australian films, but was there any part of it that was scary or did you ever feel vulnerable? Uh, Yeah, I went to the Wolf Creek crater. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I had to go see it because it's a really beautiful site. And obviously that film is not true, but is based on, I think it's a mix of... uh, the backpacker murders and Peter Falconio's disappearance, like sort of mixed together. Uh, so I was definitely like freaked out a little bit. But the the creepy thing with the Wolf Creek crater is that you go through someone's property to get to it, but it's like legal, like the signs are there, but you have to open these like farm gates and then close them behind you. And then it, you're going along unsealed roads for a long time. And I had heaps of fuel because I'd learnt my lesson about the fuel, but I was also like, I feel very isolated right now. Like I'm on some weird property. I, you know, I have no reception and I'm also going to the site, the Wolf Creek crater, even though the film wasn't real and it what didn't really happen here, it still felt creepy. And I was the only person there. So my car is just the only car. And I climbed up to the ridge to have a look and all of that. And then when I turned around, I saw another car coming in the very, very far distance. And I was like, oh, oh God, no, 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 no. Did you make a run for it? I, I ran back down the side of the crater and I just like jumped in my car. And in the end, they were this like really sweet family, like a couple and two little kids. And they actually helped, they opened the gate for me so I could go out. And I was like, of all the people it could have been, it was like the most innocent possible scenario. But yeah, I just love that you're like on that. one hand so brave for doing it. But then on the other hand, as soon as another car comes, you're like, no, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. And that was like always me. Like if I was in a rest stop and another car came in, I was like, nope, bye, like out, can't do it. I think. That was probably the only, uh, yeah, scary thing. But the the reality of it is that the things that 
could become scary are actually more to do with, you know, not knowing your way around a car, not, you know, being cautious about that sort of thing, especially if you're on the unsealed roads. Like the main highways, there's so many trucks coming past. If you broke down and you stayed with your car, someone would be by within 15 minutes, I reckon, even 30 minutes at max. But those unsealed roads are like you could just be alone for hours and that's when it would be, I think it would be more the heat and not having enough water in your car. I had a huge tank in the back just of water. I never used it, but it was there because if anything did happen to me, that's the one thing you'd really, really want. Yeah, definitely. Did you have to, speaking of cars, did you have to learn basic skills, changing tyres and oil changes and <laughs> things like skills. that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, yes and no. Like I probably should have been more prepared in, those, in that sense. I had a very new car because I hired a car. If I'd bought sort of an old four-wheel drive, I probably would have, you know, learnt my way around it a little bit more. It actually turned out to be more financially viable to hire a car, weirdly. Uh, but I did learn some things like checking my oil, checking my water. Um, you know, I learned what all the little symbols were that came up in the car. I didn't learn about changing the tyre, but I had like all my manuals and I'd, I'd sort of watched a few videos before I went and I was like, I think I get it. You like, were prepared. Yeah, I was relatively prepared, but I think what I'm more prepared for was incidents. So I had this like hectic first aid kit. It was so insane. It had like snake bite stuff in it and like every possible lotion you could ever need for any like weird, like if you rubbed up against this weird tree and got like a crazy rash from it, you'd have a cream for that. And I used it one time on a tiny cut that I got when I was hiking in Karajini National Park and I just like banged my knee on a, on a rock and I was like, I get to use the kit now. <laughs> I want to ask you, uh, Melissa, because I've, I feel like so many people in Melbourne and Sydney stay within our little city bubbles and then often whenever I find myself in um, a rural town, I sort of feel like I stick out like a sore thumb. Did you feel like that at times when you rolled into these sort of more isolated areas? Yeah, definitely sometimes. I I actually feel like more initially I felt that way because I'd sort of come, I did the East Coast first and then it was more once I ventured inland from Townsville through to Mount Isa that I was like, wow, I'm really now like standing out like a sore thumb. I, it's weird because Alice Springs is very, quite cosmopolitan. There's a lot of people that live there that are working, you know, in terms of the government and uh, tourism there. Also, you know, I met people that were working there part-time as doctors and, you know, nursing and that sort of thing. So there's actually quite a lot of city people that go to a lot of these slightly bigger towns. But yeah, occasionally, and it was more to do with what I was wearing. Like I'd be like in some weird like bohemian fashion outfit because I'm a fashion editor as well. And I was like, this is just what I wear. And then over time (laughs) I saw it become like more and more like transient, like driving nomadic fashion. And I was buying heaps of Tree of Life. And then I got back to Sydney and I was like, what is all this stuff? But yeah, no, no jeans ever on those drives. Yeah. What were the, what were the temperatures like? (laughs) The top end was, so they had the buildup, which is the pre part of the wet where the temps get probably up to like, you know, 40 degrees but it's also 100% humidity or close to. Uh, I've never experienced anything like it. It's so much worse than even, say, in Tennant Creek. When I got there, it was 47 degrees, but dry heat. So when you're in the shade, it was kind of bearable. Mm -hmm. 
that humidity, 40 degree was far worse. I have no idea how people do it. I like hats off to them. Like anyone that I, we actually stayed in an Airbnb up there at one point, uh, in a room on a farm and the couple let, let me and my friend Ash, who was with me, just go around and like, you know, go on the tractor and like help herd the cows and all these things. And it was so hot. And I was like, how are you doing this? And she was like, oh, I'm used to it now. Like, <laughs> it was crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, what do you think was the best part of your trip? Anything in the Northern Territory, uh, because while my friend Ash met me up in Darwin, as I explained, I was alone after that like probably a week and a half she was there and we just did the little loop through Kakadu and then I went, that's when I went down to Alice and back up and across the Kimberley. That part was amazing because it was really out of my comfort zone. Uh, I was staying a lot in tiny motels in tiny, tiny towns. I, you know, would spend days not really talking to anybody uh, and I think in terms of what I was looking for from the trip and kind of experiencing things for myself. There's so much beauty up there, so much natural beauty. I went to the Bungle Bungles, which are um, really hard to access in the Kimberley. And they've got they're those big mountains, that rock mountains that have the rings around them. And it's just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I just saw it all on my own. No one else was there, no other tourists. And I was just sitting in this, uh, this place called, I think it's called Cathedral Gorge. And it's a big rock that overhangs a small pool. And just sitting in there on my own, that was just phenomenal. It sounds so amazing. And then so four months later you went, came back to Sydney. Did you get to step back into the same job? Yeah, so I had oh, just like I will never be ungrateful for pedestrian for what they did for me. So basically I approached my editor, Josie, and I said, look, I really want to do this crazy four-month trip. <laughs> um, I'm aware that it may not work with me keeping my role, but I'm also very much wanting to keep my role if you're open to it. And she was like, look, I'm all for it. It's the end of the year. Things are wrapping up a little bit anyway. Um, and But we're going to have to ask the directors. And at the time that was um, Oscar and Chris were our directors. And she went in and she said Chris was just so for it because they – were founders of a company and I have a feeling, I actually wasn't privy to the details of the conversation, but I have a feeling they just always back people that want to step out and do something a little bit crazy because they did something really crazy and made a success out of it. And so, yeah, so I had a cover while I was away doing my job and then when I came back I stepped straight back into my role and, yeah, that's it's now been a year and a little bit and, yeah, it just went business as usual. It was a hard transition to come back to work uh, just from the sense of like every day you're just driving and seeing things and kind of moving around the country and then you're just straight back into your nine to five. But yeah, no regrets. And you have a podcast now about yep. a crime mystery podcast, <laughs> All Aussie Mystery Hour. Check it out. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> I have to ask, did you have any mysterious or spooky things happen? Oh my gosh, let me think. Um, look, not spooky in the sense that I was like, oh, God, there's a ghost. Oh, oh I think I'm going to get murdered. <laughs> Aside from that Wolf Creek moment, but, you know, <laughs> maybe that family were crazy. We don't know. That's um, true. They could have been. They could have that been. could have been their cover. That was definitely their cover. I'm going to go with that story now to make myself sound like braver. <laughs> uh, but the spiritual, uh, it's so hard to explain. And I don't in any way want to imply that I would understand the spiritual nature of different 
sacred spots the same way that someone who is Indigenous and part of, you know, the Aboriginal groups that are based around those areas would understand it. But Uluru, Katajuta, the Bungle Bungles, all of these beautiful natural spots are so sacred to the Indigenous people of Australia. And visiting them and reading the stories because there's there's great, like, integration, I think, now. It could possibly be better, but they've definitely done a great job um, in terms of explaining the Indigenous Dreamtime stories behind locations and why they're significant and and sort of the history of how people use that spot, uh, that I really felt it a little bit. And there's like places like uh, the Devil's Marbles where some people have seen beings and there's like a little small spiritual beings that like sort of come out. So those places I was particularly like, oh, like... I'm really respectful of this place. I also don't want to see one of these things. Like, I don't want to see a little creature come out. (laughs) One of the things I said to myself when I got back was that I really want to study a bit more about Indigenous Australian culture and particularly through the Northern Territory because I was so fascinated and I felt like, wow, I want to know more about this. Um, But, yeah, those, those were probably quite the closest thing to like a sort of otherworldly experience, I would say. And what would you say to someone else wanting to do a similar trip? Oh, God, I would say definitely do it. Practice first by doing a shorter trip like I did with Broken Hill. That wasn't intentional, but I think if I hadn't done that, the isolation would have shocked me. There were a few days when I was in the Kimberley getting across to Broome where I had no reception the whole way. So there was no reception even when I hit towns. I still didn't have reception. And I could use Wi-Fi, but it cost a lot of money. So I'd use it just briefly to like message my family and just check in that I was alive, obviously. You just forget how often you interact with people. And then when you're on the road and you're on your own in the car and all you're doing is talking to people at the servo uh, and checking into a motel, it can feel really lonely. And I think you need to experience that in a small dose before you can do it in that really large amount of time. It sounds like you went on an amazing adventure and I think it's really inspiring, especially going as a woman on your own. That's incredible. Um, Thank you so much for talking to us, Melissa. It's been wonderful to talk to you and, yeah, can't wait to see where you go next. (laughs) I had so much fun. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kieran. I'm uh, 31 years old. I live with my wife, Pauline, in Sydney. Hi, I'm Pauline. Uh, Kieran and I have been together for 12 years. I'm a freelance writer and in 2017, shortly after I was diagnosed with generalised anxiety and panic disorder, we decided to take an adult gap year that would allow us to kind of press a reset button on life. So we planned a 12-month trips to the States. We packed up our apartment. Um, I was able to get leave without pay. Pauline was able to continue freelancing just a day and a half a week. One of the things that I knew that I would have definitely needed to kind of ground me was a place to call home, regardless of how far we were from home. So we decided to buy an RV that we could renovate and build a comfort zone around that. So we bought an RV off Craigslist. It was about 5,000 US. Everything in it worked. It just looked horrible. So beige walls, dark blue carpet, 
all wood panelling, just your typical old caravan that you'll see here around Australia, just all the same style. Pretty comparable to our one-bedroom apartment here in Sydney in terms of size. So it had like a little separate room out the back, kitchenette, dining area, and then like the front cabin. So it was actually plenty of room for the two of us. So we bought it in Los Angeles, but the only place we could renovate it was out in Palm Springs. It was um, about 50 degrees every day while we were renovating it. So absolutely brutal. Ironically, one of my main symptoms of my anxiety is that I get really hot. So the fact that we renovated in that heat was kind of ironic, but it was a good kind of start to say that even the trip of a lifetime that we've been dreaming of would have its own set of challenges. So we stripped everything out, we painted it white and we kind of created a blank space for ourselves and then we'd move on to the new town and then at that point it was time to kind of furnish the place and we would go into like secondhand stores or like the local markets and we'd buy chairs, we'd buy like little decorative things for the van, things that made it feel homely and added texture and layers to it as we went along. At one stage we were boondocking, which is the free camping. So they've got lands that aren't national parks that you can just pull up for free in your camper. So we painted the RV on a cliff top overlooking the Badlands National Park. We did that through the day. At night it was out in the middle of the wilderness. So you could just, we just jumped up on the roof of the van and stargazed and had dinner. And that was, that was really cool. Would pull into absolute nothing towns. You know, you'd go into this very quiet, classic American diner. There's about two people in there. Get a couple of stairs, and then you just get a. You aren't from around here, are you? <laughs> that happened a couple of times. Yeah. When you're just stuck in the routine of life, you've got a lot of different facets of life to, to worry about and that are impacting you. But when you're traveling, that was it was like you and me a, a lot of the times just alone in a van. Yeah. I mean, a clear indicator that something worked from that trip other than taking the trip of a lifetime was that I came home and I decided to take on freelance full time. When it became too busy, I found myself kind of checking in with myself and being like, hey, this is getting a bit too much, remember what happened last time, and pull back or definitely say no to this amount of work. That version of me that checks in and makes sure that my mental health comes first is the person that I found on our trip. Okay, so January, for this season, we wanted to introduce a new segment at the end of the show because we were finding that so many of these themes lent well to funny books or movies that we have seen or read or loved. Um, we're calling it Pop Culture Homework, and this week's Pop Culture Homework is Eat, Pray, Love, which I'm sure you're going to be very excited about. Now, The, the seminal text, Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> Elizabeth Gilbert's seminal text, which was also a big movie with Julia Roberts. We will let you either read or watch Eat, Pray, Love. Both will count. I'm just going to read you the synopsis here just to get you inspired, get the juices flowing. 
Liz Gilbert, played by Julia Roberts, had everything a modern woman is supposed to dream of having. A husband, a house, a successful career. Yet like so many others, she found herself lost, confused and searching for what she really wanted in life. Newly divorced and at a a crossroads, Gilbert steps out of her comfort zone, risking everything to change her life, embarking on a journey around the world that becomes a quest for self-discovery. In her travels, she discovers the true pleasure of nourishment by eating in Italy, the power of prayer in India, and finally, and unexpectedly, the inner peace and balance of true love in Bali. Tell me that has not inspired you for some <laughs> homework this week. Yeah, no, definitely. And look, The I, ultimate gap year. Well, it probably is perhaps one of the most famous gap years now, do you think? I'd say so. I think Julia Roberts has a lot to say for herself. I think she probably inspired a million gap years after that movie came out. Definitely. Definitely a lot of white lady gap years. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> and look, I couldn't let this go without mentioning your favourite film, Rose, Under the Tuscan Uh-oh. Sun. It did come up last oh. season. <laughs> <laughs> Diane Lane, we I love, love her. We love Diane Lane. Yep, the 2003 hit under the Tuscan Sun, where Diane Lane, leave, well, Francis actually, played by Diane Lane, leaves her cheating husband to renovate an Italian villa. And what a beautiful story that was. A gap year that sort of extended itself into a life change for Diane or Francis in the film. And I guess riffing on our guest that we had earlier, I'd have to also mention another famous gap year, not so such a happy ending, but Wolf Creek. A famous Australian gap year. Are we calling that a gap year? <laughs> well, they were on a gap year, weren't they? They were travelling over from the UK around Australia. Yeah. It's good It's good for us to, um, to we, we don't want to suggest that they're all sunshine and roses gap no. years. So that's good they can to be deadly. Oh, I don't want to say. <laughs> well, I think that's all for today, Rose. I'll keep enjoying my gap year. We'll call it a gap year and I'll speak to you next week. Yep, can't wait. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. Somewhere Else is produced by January Jones, Rose Donahue, and Kate Bartels. It is edited by Steve Claxton. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends. Send us to your mum. It's how we get the word out. We'll see you soon, somewhere else. This episode of Somewhere Else is brought to you by Domain Insure. Powered by property experts, Domain Insure is a smart, simple way to purchase insurance so you can spend less time worrying about life's what ifs. Head to domain.com.au forward slash insurance forward slash podcast. Domain Insure AFSL 502088 for the insurer Zurich Australian Insurance LTD AFSL 232504.